The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Ryan Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. Wall Street's biggest banks have passed the Fed's annual stress test. As you heard there from Doug, the test carried extra weight this year after the collapse of three U.S. banks. However, the Fed said that the 23 largest U.S. lenders have shown now that they can withstand a severe global recession and turmoil in real estate markets. Bloomberg's Allison Williams tells us what else stands out. I think the big news is, you know, sort of the signals that we're getting for future capital ratios and really Bank of America looking very strong here and uh, definitely Citigroup, the less positive bank. Um, So, yes, the banks all pass, but I think what investors really care about is, you know, when these the results of this test and the stressed losses that the banks post in terms of the change in their capital ratio determines their future capital requirement. Passing scores on the stress test can give the banking giants a green light to return billions of dollars to investors. And the Fed has said that banks can start announcing their payout plans as of Friday. However, this year's results may not quickly yield dividend and buyback announcements. Many banks have warned that they will hold off until they can get more clarity on new capital requirements that have been in the works now for years. Doug? Well, central bankers gathered in central Portugal today, and for many, the message was some somewhat hawkish, saying the fight against inflation is not done. It has a ways to go. This comes as the global economy and inflation have so far proved to be seemingly and surprisingly resilient to those interest rate hikes. We heard today from Fed Chair Jay Powell saying he was not going to take more rate hikes off the table. We're going to move the, move the decisions a little bit, make them a little bit with a little bit more time in between them in an effort to get more information from the data to see how much restraint is really coming from these, you know, through the pipeline from rate hikes that we only made now, in many cases, six, eight, nine months ago. But I wouldn't take, you know, moving at consecutive meetings off the table at all. Fed Chair Jay Powell there. We also heard today from the head of the Bank of England, Governor Andrew Bailey, hinted that UK rates may remain at peak levels for longer than traders currently expect. Not to be left out, the ECB President Christine Lagarde suggested that a rate hike next month was a virtual certainty, although she was less committal when it comes to what the ECB may do at the meeting in September. Brian. And can I say not to be left out, although this is not quite as strong, but the Bank of Japan governor, Kazuo Ueda, said that Japan's interest rates are on hold because underlying inflation remains below 2%. Even so, he suggested that it would be possible to start normalizing monetary policy soon, although he said that it was price gains next year 
that could bring about a policy shift. Stock prices have been rising fairly sharply uh, since, since spring this year. Stock prices theoretically are affected by interest rates and investors' view of the economy. We haven't changed interest rates, so uh, probably investors have become more optimistic about the future of the economy. About a third of economists surveyed by Bloomberg are forecasting a policy change by the BOJ at its July meeting. They expect the bank to cite a brighter inflation outlook as a reason behind that shift. We go to China next, where the government has enacted a foreign relations law to target what it calls Western hegemony. The story from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong in Hong Kong. The law strengthens China's legal standing in taking retaliatory measures against overseas actors. Chinese state media said it provides a legal basis for hitting back against sanctions imposed by the West. The law requires state agencies to strengthen coordination between departments to enforce the retaliatory actions. And the state council is authorized to establish new institutions to help carry out the law. The move is seen by experts as a way to underscore President Xi Jinping's personal control over China's foreign policy. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Day. Micron Technology has given an upbeat forecast for the current quarter. It said sales would be as much as $4.1 billion. Analysts had been estimating about $3.87 billion. It's a sign that the industry glut may be easing. We heard from Dan Morgan at Synovus Trust. They felt that, you know, their core markets, PCs, laptops, smartphones, the inventories were starting to clear from customers. They expected a secular rebound in terms of cloud. We know that's been in kind of a secular downturn, but the long-term trend is still positive. It does show there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Micron's positive forecast comes even as it has fallen prey to its geopolitical rivalry, that rivalry between China and the United States. The Cybersecurity Administration of China has barred Micron's chips from critical infrastructure, saying they're a national security risk. It came after the regulators said that Micron's products had failed to pass a cybersecurity review. Micron has warned that about half of its sales are tied to China clients, and they may be affected by China's probe. Micron shares were up, though, in late trading. At the moment, up about 2.5% in late trading. I'm Brian Curtis, along with uh, Doug Krisner in New York. So I guess to the central bankers first, um, you might resist this comment, but I'll say it's kind <laughs> of a, a last gasp offer by central banks to show that they're still in control. Uh, investors, though, are kind of moving beyond the rate hikes. Uh, you know, at their peril, perhaps. Uh, but it just seems that, you know, they're sort of assuming, at least with the case of the Fed, that they're getting pretty close to uh, to the eventual pause. Although I will say this, Powell sounded like two in a row now, whereas before he kind of talked about how we might see a couple more before the end of the year. So the last dot plot, I think, indicates 50 basis points in tightening for the remainder of this year, the potential for it, right? And you and I were talking earlier, Brian, about the degree to which, at least in the States, the American economy has proved to be remarkably resilient, even though we've had, what, 500 basis points in tightening so Mm. far? We've seen some rolling recessions, maybe. Maybe you could put your finger on the housing market as one example of that. But it looks like there, I think we were talking about Ed Yardeni's statement, that there is the period perhaps that we're dealing with now, which is more about this kind of rolling expansion. So clearly the economy is still strong. Do you think it's two things? One, that there was a lot of money given out to people and they saved quite a bit of it. Um, And that's not only 
individuals, but also companies. Uh, and I think what I said the other day, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, that the long period of low interest rates gave people and institutions, companies, a chance to term out uh, what, what they owe over such a long period that they're not that fussed or focused or in fear of higher interest rates. And they, they are acting as though it's, it does raise their costs a little, but it's not the end of the world. I think that's a very good point, and I'm going to pivot off of it in a very kind of uh, maybe an interesting way. I don't know. Richard Koo coined the phrase balance sheet recession, and I say that to set the stage for this. This is in the China Today column. When asset markets turn from boom to bust, households and companies oftentimes need to save to pay down debt. That was one of the things I think that many people uh, see when you look at what happened to the lost decade in Japan, and that thinking now has kind of creeped into the narrative when you look at what's happening in China. We've seen perhaps certain asset markets in China kind of collapse. I'm thinking of the housing market in particular and how we're seeing household and companies react to that. Save to pay down debt and that's going to lead to a stall in the economy. Yeah, it's not only that consumers and, and companies are reticent, uh, but it's also that the uh, the regulators and the policymakers are reticent to provide a lot of stimulus to get you out of it because they don't want even more debt piled up. Just a quick word on the law and foreign relations, because people would be curious, you know, what are they doing here? It basically just codifies the Communist Party's grip on foreign relations as though it didn't already have it, but this gives it more legal standing. And it actually means that uh, the institutions of government, like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and even the State Council itself, others, uh, now are required to implement the dictates of Xi and the Communist Party. And it's not that big of a change from the anti-foreign sanctions law, which they already passed a couple of years ago, but it will scare some people. Most definitely. And it's going to be very interesting. We've also seen cases where Lockheed Martin and Raytheon have been penalized, right, for selling arms to Taiwan. It's going to be very interesting to see the strategy that Beijing uses going forward and how and which sectors of the market, the American market, uh, China starts to target. Yeah, it's it's my very point that Raytheon and uh, and Lockheed Martin and Mike Pompeo were already sanctioned uh, by previous the previous law, and uh, it looks like it will continue. Now it's time for global news. All right, it is twelve and a half minutes past the hour. Let's get to Dan Schwartzman. Dan is looking at more details emerging here as to the intentions of the Wagner Group's Yevgeny Prigozhin, what he was up to, what he was trying to do. Dan Schwartzman has more from New York. Brian, keep getting that popcorn ready because every day the stories continue to take twists and turns. The latest is this: Western officials are saying that. Wagner, uh, Wagner mercenary group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was planning to capture Russia's military leadership during his short-lived mutiny last weekend. Sources say Prigozhin had to speed up his plans as Russia's domestic intelligence agency had learned of his plot. The oligarch had originally intended to capture Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu and the chief of Russia's general staff Valery Garasimov during their scheduled visit to the southern region that borders Ukraine. That plot, though, was foiled as the country's Federal Security Service, or FSB as they're known, found out about the plan two days in advance. Western officials also say that Prigozhin had conveyed his plot to some senior military leaders, including the head of aerospace forces, Sergei Sirovikin. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says that elections scheduled to take place next year will only occur if martial law is lifted. State Department, uh, State Department Deputy Spokesman Vedant Patel explains. 
we continue to stay in close touch with our Ukrainian partners. Uh, uh, it's also an, an opportunity I'd remind you that martial law is only in place because uh, Russia continues to wage a full-scale illegal war against Ukraine and its people. Ukraine has been under martial law since Russia invaded back in February of 2022. President Biden was in Chicago today unveiling his economic policies that have been now named Bidenomics. Biden announcing his three-step plan to grow the economy. First, making smart investments in America. Second, educating and empowering American workers to grow the middle class. And third, promoting competition to lower costs to help small businesses. Biden in Chicago as the mayor of the city, Brandon Johnson, urged residents to wear masks as the air quality in the city had turned to unhealthy levels due to the wildfires in Canada. Other cities such as Detroit, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Buffalo and Pittsburgh are all experiencing poor air quality. While the air in the Midwest will be improving starting Thursday, the mid-Atlantic region is now expected to get worse in places like Washington and Baltimore. Alerts have also been issued in New York City, Long Island and New Jersey as the smoke is drifting towards those areas. were sworn in earlier today in a London courtroom as the trial of two-time Academy Award winner Kevin Spacey is set to get underway with opening statements on Friday. The 63-year-old is facing a dozen charges of sexually assaulting four men between 2001 to 2013. Spacey at the time was living in England and serving as the artistic director of the Old Vic Theatre in London. The trial is expected to last somewhere around four weeks. Global News 24 hours a day powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries I'm Dan Schwartzman. This is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rashad Salama. We are here in Hong Kong, and Kim Forrest is our guest, founder and CIO of Bokeh Capital Partners. Simple question, Kim. Can we, as investors, look beyond the Fed now? Well, listening to your last segment, I think that's a resounding yes. Um, at least the Fed, you know, the central bank of the U.S. The other ones are out, uh, you know, they're in a different category. They're still raising. But if it's one, two, or even, like, craziness, three more raises that we have, I can't imagine that it can get much higher, you know, that it's going to affect the psychology of investors. We're already in the higher interest rate environment. We have decided that we can tolerate owning stocks in this environment. And more importantly, we've decided we're going to buy more stocks than we did. You know, we're in the mood to buy more than we did at the beginning of this year, as crazy as that sounds. But it looks like the market wants to go higher each and every day I sit behind my desk. Uh, but certainly at the moment, Kim, I mean, we are looking at interest rates, which are really returning to um, a mean reversion, if, you want to, if we could put it that way. 
Oh, golly. You're, you're, you're getting a sensitive subject for me. I think mean reversion happens in, um, like, physical kind of models. You know, like, you throw a bowling ball out of a window and it falls at a certain rate. I'm not yes. sure the economy works like that. I think that people adjust to whatever era they're in and make decisions mm. accordingly. And I don't necessarily believe we ever get back to that uh, golden day of, you know, 5% interest rates for from here on out. It's going to fluctuate. This is a system with many moving parts, and it's only gotten more complex as the world has gotten joined together through globalism. I don't want to get too far ahead uh, of the skis on this point that the economy and investors are, you know, easily withstanding higher interest rates. I mean, we talked about the banks passing the stress test. They passed that test, but they haven't passed the stock market test. Mm -hmm. uh, the KBW Bank Index is down 22% year to date. A lot of the gains have been, uh, have been kind of isolated in a smaller number of companies. That does appear to be changing now, but does that continue? Can you see a broadening out so that everybody sort of reaps some of the gains? Well, I think, you know, you've put you've put your finger right on the sore spot of the US economy and that's banks. I don't know that anybody's super comfortable owning a smaller bank because their balance sheets are a little on the opaque side. If they do have commercial real estate, how good is it and what is going to happen to it? That's the big question here. But I do think in other areas like industrials and um, even consumer discretionary, I think people are going to get more, investors are going to get more comfortable owning those names looking at how strong the economy is and how it is not slipping into recession, nor does it look like it's going to in the immediate future. All right. Well, uh, Kim, you know, what does this also mean as uh, for stocks, at least, is that we now enter this sort of window dressing period at the end of the quarter? And uh, what do you expect? Uh, how, how does the next quarter begin? Well, I'm pretty happy. I call this week and next week pre-announcement season, you know, because every week has to have its own name. And I'm being trying to be funny there. But seriously, <laughs> I've been looking for pre-announcements from companies and not seeing them. So I think we're in pretty good shape going into this quarter. I think most companies have set the bar low enough. And kind of like Micron today, I expect companies that are seeing strength for whatever reason, maybe it's internal, you know, they're capturing market share, or just the sector that they're in, I, I'm thinking that the much-anticipated cutting of the S&P 500 estimate for this year is not going to happen. And mm. if that doesn't happen, investors are going to pay attention and expand their horizons out of the seven names of AI. Yeah, I mean, the earnings really matter. In the case of NVIDIA, I know people think NVIDIA has gone up every day and it's just gone crazy. Uh, it, it basically went up a lot the day that it announced earnings. It went from 300 to 400. It's barely moved since then. So people are discerning. They're waiting until they see. I mean, that day, they raised the forecast by 50%. And it was a massive jump, up to more than $11 billion in the next quarter. Uh, so the earnings really do matter. And do you think that the earnings will be good across the board, or it will basically be focused in some of these um, pure play companies? Well, especially in the case of AI, I think it will be focused. Now, what I'm banking on is that the tech space is going to um, expand as 
the need for data expands. And as the applications for AI expand, need for data is going to expand. So that might even mean sensors out in the real world. It, it, it is just going to drive a whole bunch of capital expenditures over many, many years. And I would say to investors, pace yourself. AI is going to always take longer, or any new technology is always going to take longer to get to its promised point of fruition than you ever expect. But it will yeah. get there. Right, I'll save you a question for the, for the next time. We don't have time now, but uh, yeah, will AI be bigger than 5G? Will it be bigger than the Internet of Things? We got very excited over those things. And we'll save that, Kim, for the next time. By the way, we love having you on the program. Thank you. Kim Forrest, founder and CIO of Bokeh Capital Partners. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.